The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Michael Simmons, our data editor, and Katie Bors. Now, Michael, this week, Bank of England has increased its base rate again. Tell us about what it has decided to do and why is it significant? So the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee that sets interest rates yesterday hiked rates for the 14th time in a row to 5.25%. And they're really doing this because of the battle that the country's had with inflation over the last year. Now, markets think they're reaching the sort of towards the end of their hiking cycle. Markets predict that it might go up maybe one or two more times to about 5.75%. And they've done this because they're, they're trying to get inflation under control. They also released some forecasts along with their rate setting. And one of those presented some good news for Rishi Sunak. It showed that inflation, they think, is likely to come down to about 5% by the end of the year. They also um, talked about growth, though, and they said that although we're probably going to avoid a recession, they expect for the next three years, growth is going to be, you know, effectively flat and near zero. So a mixed picture from the Bank of England yesterday. Now, Katie, um, just on inflation, that's one of the Prime Minister's five pledges from early in the year. Is it going to be one of the few that he actually manages to achieve? If this forecast is correct, then it's looking at perhaps the, the safest bet. I think the problem for Rishi Sunak has always been, uh, when it comes to inflation, that he's made it not just one of his five priorities, but almost it's seen uh, a bit like with Cameron Osborne, the deficit, halving inflation, getting inflation down is seen as what you have to do before you get to anything else. But um, there's actually relatively few levers the government can pull on it. So while Jeremy Hunt was very quick yesterday to say, oh, this is proof the government's plan is working. I mean, there are some things the government can do to make it worse. But the really big factors that are going to decide whether he hits his target or not are lots of things that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt cannot really control. And therefore, I think it seems as though it could be one of the priorities where he does get over the line. I, I think within government, they're not so worried about this. Um, you think back to the pandemic when Matt Hancock had his big test deadline, you know, and actually, I think with hindsight, at some point that's also at the time, maybe it wasn't such a good idea because you saw Matt Hancock as health actually doing everything to hit the number of COVID tests he said that he'd get done and since then there's been something well it, it meant that, that some of them are not going to the right places because you were just focusing on hitting this time target the impression I get from those around Rishi Sunak is of course they want to hit their priority of halving inflation by the end of the year but actually if you do it in January or February they still think you're going to have a situation whereby people are going to start to feel it and Kate if Kate was on this podcast uh, she's outraged to take a holiday this today <laughs> and she'd be saying oh people might not feel it in time but they think that you're going to have this impact by which people are going to feel it we're going to see that it has halved around the time of the end of the year and think that you know almost hitting it on the specific day of, of the week that he said at the beginning isn't going to be such a, a big issue in the long term and therefore I think probably inflation is one of the safer looking ones that he look across the five priorities I mean growth 
Michael, that's that's one of Rishi's targets, but has that one the king? Pretty much every prime minister in history has overseen some kind of growth. In a way, things are looking better than when um, Rishi first came in um, because they're not now saying that there's likely to be a recession, although some economists do think that the rate hikes might push into recession, but the bank doesn't think so. But their growth forecast for the next three years is actually kind of a downgrade from what they said in May. So they're they're saying that the economy will grow but it's like near enough to zero that it's effectively flatlining. So it's not growth that um, we in the wider economy are really likely to experience. And if Kate were here, she would say that that doesn't really matter, that it's a 0.25 rather than zero or negative figure because it's so anemic. Yeah, it's the, it's the ghost of Kate on this podcast. But it, get, it gets back to the point, which is effectively, I think you can technically hit uh, some of these priorities so if you look at the economy ones in a way that's probably easier than boats or waiting lists but there's also always a way to look at uh, so you have Rishi Sunak this week talking about striking doctors and that's why waiting lists are going up but you can imagine a scenario where the government can bundle something together enough to say look at these waiting lists these ones have gone down in this period and and so forth so I think that there will be some things to point out for probably for most of the five priorities. The question is, will the public feel them? And it, it doesn't, to me, feel as though we're heading to a point at the end of the year and everyone's like, wow, these five priorities, you know, you've really done it and my life is substantially better than it was at this point. But also, it's partly, you know, when they came up with the five priorities was taking over a situation where <laughs> widespread sense of, you know, resentment against the Tory government and trying to do these things to get a bit of a hearing so then they can say more th- more things and be heard so uh, the five priorities are not going to be the be all and end all when it comes to what Rishi is going to try and use to improve his party's fortunes. And Michael before people feel a fall in inflation they're going to feel a rising mortgages so what does all of this mean and you've said that interest rates will continue to go up for the rest of the year so what's mortgage market looking like? At the moment, the sort of the average two-year fix is about six point eight percent, and I think for a five-year, it's about six point three percent. So that's obviously a lot higher than um, people have been used to. Although it's kind of worth saying that these interest rates are sort of more in line of um, what we historically had, kind of pre two thousand and eight, when um, central banks effectively made money free by having you know zero interest rates. So. The bank is kind of hoping that um, these are going to, you know, make it more difficult for people to get mortgages and that's going to kind of depress demand and depress consumption. But there's kind of some worry about how effective these rate rises really are because of kind of two factors. One is that huge amount of mortgage holders have have been on longer fixes so have not yet kind of come up to have to go on to these higher rates yet and that's likely to start happening towards the end of the year. But the other thing is that in this country... More people actually own their home outright than have a mortgage. So those fortunate people that um, you know have paid off their mortgage own their asset. They're not really going to be affected by the interest rates as long as they they you know they don't have um, other debt. So it's going to keep um, mortgage rates rates high and high for longer as well because of this key reason that the bank is terrified of us returning to a 1970s 1980s position where core inflation kind of sticks around and becomes embedded of the in the economy. So because of that, they basically said as much yesterday that they're they're not going to cut rates sharply even if they are about to peak. But Michael, this is also a controversial move from the Bank of England, isn't it? Because economists from the left and the right um, have criticised the bank for increasing the rate. Some some or at some of them have they seem to disagree on what the best way forward is because some people are saying well look we're seeing inflation coming down 
this is the moment to stop and wait and watch what's going to happen rather than further increasing. So I guess, you know, there's there's splitting opinion about what the right way forward is. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some people that, because of the reasons I said before, I think that we just need to wait for the interest rates to really take effect and then see what happens and for and for interest to keep coming down. But the bank's concerned that inflation is really becoming becoming sticky because core inflation um, hasn't really come down all that much and also they're worried about the labor market which is still you know running pretty hot and they're worried that if if wage growth kind of remains um, what they would see as, as higher they, than they expected and that core inflation so excluding food excluding energy prices sticks around then inflation is going to go down a bit and just stay so they the, the bank kind of majority p- uh, opinion on the, the bank's committee is that they want to be sort of more aggressive the, with these uh, rate hikes to really force inflation down. And I think when you look at that Bank of England warning, so clearly the government are trying to say, oh, the inflation forecast, things are going to plan. That's what we need to focus in on. Inflation down, we can do a lot more. But then you also look at the warning that interest rates are going to stay high for at least two years. And that does mean going into an election year. Mm. You will have those who are homeowners and um, thinking about renewing. Some of them are already suffering these rates. And you saw, uh, well, you heard, not saw, this week when Rishi Sina was doing that Q and A with LBC. That someone said, "Oh, my, you know, my mortgage rates have jumped from one thousand and something pounds to two thousand and something pounds." And Rishi Sina's reply was, "Actually, the average." Um, <laughs> It's much lower than that. And it does come back to the point, which is, um, and Rishi said it's technically correct. I don't think the man calling in who was stressed about his mortgage bills is going to take much comfort from the fact he is not the average. Um, and therefore, that mortgage time bomb, I mean, it's why we talked on the podcast, there were all these quite wild rumours recently that there could be an election this year because you would get ahead of what's going to be more and more people dragged into these higher rates. The fact that, you know, it, it's going to be going for such a long time, uh, I mean, I don't think the government thinks it's a good idea to go early, just to cut the polls. But it does mean, I think, uh, Rishi Sunak's going to have to work a bit on what his message or his answer is in an election year where cost of living is clearly going to be central. And I think he is partly disadvantaged from it because you have a situation whereby he is just so rich. And you can say that doesn't matter and things, but something I wrote about for, in a column for The Times recently was thinking back to a very famous uh, 1992 US presidential debate whereby you had uh, George Bush Sr. And he was asked a, a question along the lines, you know, how has the cost of living crisis personally affected each of your lives? And if it hasn't, how, how can you know the cure? How can you honest, how can you have a cure to something you don't understand? And it's the famous moment where uh, George Bush Sr. looks at his watch so, and people say, "Oh, you're trying to get off stage. You're not. You're not doing this." But, but more than that, it's not just the the watch moment as it is known. It's also the fact that he then gave a very technical answer. You know, saying, "You know, what I see every day in all these ways." And then you have Bill Clinton come in and give a very emotional answer. And I think that it means Rishi Sunak does need to, and his team do need to work out because questions like that one on LBC, particularly if you look at high interest rates, they're going to keep coming. Now. Rishi Sunak probably cannot argue to being personally very disadvantaged through the cost of living crisis because it doesn't feel as though he does, for example, on the mortgage issue, He's have a mortgage. <laughs> well, did he ever have on the first? We don't know. But but what I mean, in an election year, we're just going to get so much more of that. And it's not to say at all. I mean, I don't agree that um, because you haven't uh, you know felt it personally, you can't work out what to do about it. But I do think when you look at the LBC thing, sometimes how he he can seem a bit irritated by some types of questions. They're going to have to work out what the message is from a prime minister. The rich is probably you know in number ten for 
ever for at least a very long time is on cost of living questions and the easiest answer would be to say things are improving look at the steps we've taken um but if they're not improving enough he's going to need to go a bit further and finally when talking about uh, the Prime Minister and how much uh, voters are taking him to task. Certainly Conservative voters are rating his performance recently a little bit higher. Katie, this is the very respected Conservative home polling, uh, which shows that Rishi Sunak has gone up in its Cabinet Minister rankings. Yes, this is a survey of Tory members. And the last one, so about a month ago, um, Rishi Sunak was in the negative, along with, I think, a record number of his cabinet. And it was the first time since he entered number 10 that he was in the negative. I think Theresa May and Boris Johnson have both been further down when it came to those negative ratings in the past, but it's never a place you want to be. I think the, the slightly good news for Rishi Sunak is he is out of it, but also far fewer cabinet ministers are now in the negative, so quite a few have moved up. You still have Therese Coffey, at the bottom, um, obviously there's talk about whether she might be moved in a reshuffle, Robert Jenrick also um, far down. But I think it just reflects that things are slightly improving for Rishi Sunak in the past month. He's actually, I think, through a few things going in his favour, inflation dropping uh, in, the, in the last check. Also the Uxbridge by-election, the Tories slightly holding on to it. There just seems to be a little bit of a sense that he is getting a bit more luck mm. after a pretty bad run. So if he can move that into the autumn, perhaps uh, we can go from a 20-point lead for Labour to a 15-point lead. <laughs> Katie and Michael, thanks very much. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs> 